0: There's a, an expression used of someone who is uh, too involved in the details of a problem to be able to look at the situation as a whole. And the expression is not being able to see the forest for the trees, right. and. And it's actually, the the phrase has been around a long time and it's already, it was already well known when it was first seen in print way back in 1546. Um, And at one time or another, we've all dealt with this challenge. And we will see that challenge and its resultant problems this morning in, in Matthew chapter 15. The whole chapter would take me nearly six minutes to read. Uh, if I just read it by itself, because it's it's a substantial chapter, so I'm going to tell you the story of Matthew chapter 15, and it's it's three or four brief scenes, depending on how you how you link them together. But 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 I'm going to ask you to open to Matthew chapter 15 so you can refer to it. But I'm going to tell you the story when we last saw Jesus and his disciples. They have received this very receptive welcome in Genesaret. Uh, the men of Genesaret, they saw that Jesus and the disciples had, had landed there. And so they recognized Jesus and they say, let's bring Jesus all of our sick, all of our maimed, all of our hurt. Uh, and then they, they, they called out to the, to the nearby villages, the Savior's coming, Jesus is coming, he's, he's here and he's ready to heal. And they've received this very warm welcome. And, and Genesaret, even though no, no remain, nothing of it remains today, there's no trace of it, uh, they think it was on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Well, at the beginning of 15, the Pharisees and the scribes, we love them. They always show up. They're kind of, they're like the Debbie Downers of the day. Uh, <laughs> the Pharisees and the scribes, they come to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they say. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Can't you just hear them? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And we've all heard the phrase, dinner's ready, go wash your hands. And we've, But we've also come to realize that these Pharisees and, and the scribes, they're, they're, they're really kind of stuffed shirts. Uh, what are they referring to, the tradition of the elders? Well, they're, they're, they're talking about... There's a collection of writings, they call it rabbinic writings, as in rabbi. These collection of writings, known as the Mishnah. Now, these are oral teachings that are not found in the Law and the Prophets, what we know as the Old Testament. So these guys are talking about a second book, as it were. And it's collected, it's in written form, and see, they're referring to this not the Law and the Prophets, but they're referring to this tradition of the elders. And what's more, th- these are the big city boys. They're the boys from the big town of Jerusalem. Th- th- these jokers are from 80 miles away. And, they, and they've traveled really to kind of point Jesus out, to give him grief. And they think that they are all that. Well, Jesus answers them and he says to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Pharisees and scribes, whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you, that's already been given to God. And he is not to honor his father or mother. And by this you invalidate the Word of God for the sake of your tradition." So, so what is Jesus talking about? Well, he references what the Old Testament law says about the relationship between children and parents. And, and, and we find it in the, in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Deuteronomy 5 says honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you basically if you want to live long and well in the land you're going to listen to mom and dad and we have said it exactly that way <laughs> in our house <laughs> you know, if you want to live long and well in the land you're going to listen now In Leviticus chapter 20, it also says, If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. There's this whole idea of what is called blood guilt. And blood guilt is upon the person who curses father or mother. And then this is what Jesus says. He points out how the Pharisees and the scribes, how they do the opposite of what the Scripture says. They perform this practice and the Word, it's actually found once in Scripture and it's found in the Gospel of Mark. And the Word is called, the Word is Corbin. And it's a gift offering that's dedicated to God, but it was misused by the Jews as a way to evade their rightful duty to God to care for aged parents what they would do, these offerings, they're given to God, they're set aside to God, but they are used by the person while the person's living, but they can't be transferred to an aging parent. Everybody see what what I'm telling you there? Everybody understand that? So that's what they're doing. And then Jesus says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, And he quotes Isaiah 29 and he says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they value their own standard over what Scripture says. They put their own words and their own laws over the Word of God. They are presenting their ideas as the words of God. And unfortunately, we see this in 2020, don't we? We see others do, do this too. That's why every week I bring before you Scripture so you know what it says. So as when the bad things of life happen, you don't depend on hearsay or well-wishers or people that are sincere and well-meaning but are wrong because they're not going to what Scripture says. You know, what does God's word say? Now, in verse 10, Jesus calls the crowd to him and he he says to them, he says, hear and understand, it's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. And and, then the disciples, they come and they say, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Oh, Mercy. Jesus answers and he says, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides blind man, both will fall into a pit. All right, we hear this word offended. And lots of things come to mind, don't they? Especially in 2020. 2020. Everyone's offended. All right. Whew. All right. Jesus' response to his disciples regarding these offended Pharisees, he says if there's something that's been planted that's not of God, it's not going to last. It's, not, it's just not going to survive. And then he talks about the blind leading the blind. And we see this today. You know, the word of God doesn't change. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a scene change bit of one. In verse 15, Peter says to Jesus, he says, explain this parable to us. Well, Jesus says, are you still lacking an understanding also? You know, he's not, he's just, he's not being ugly, but he says, you just, you don't understand, do you? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated and is voided? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and these are what defile man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. It's what Dennis shared with the children this morning. Things out of the mouth—it's hard to reload them. Hard to reload them. See, Jesus' response to his disciples regarding the criticism of those not washing one's hands—you know, the Pharisees and the scribes—they're—they're they're concerned not so much with the, really the washing of the hands when eating bread as they are the following of what they deem as important to them. That's really the, that's the crux of the issue. It's their own preferences. It's the things they value. It's, and see, Jesus says that the important thing is the heart of man, and we're able to discern the state of the heart by its symptoms. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications... Thefts, false witness, slanders, sins of the mind, sins of the heart, sins of the eye, sins of the body, sins of the mouth. We meet Wednesdays after dinner and we have Bible study and I said this this week and I was quoting, quoting an old friend of mine who said this, We become what we behold. We become what we behold. Garbage in, garbage out. Um, And I don't mean taking in food like the Pharisees are talking about, but but since what comes out of the heart defiles a person, we need to be on guard against those things that shape the heart. Does that make sense? what are those things that we let in? What are those things that we allow to be our standard or frame of reference? We're all going to look at something, regardless of our age, regardless of our standing, regardless of our state. We're all going to look at something. We're all going to have a standard or a frame of reference to which we look or to whom we look scene changes again, and some of your scriptures, some of your texts may have the heading, the Syrophoenician woman. All right. Verse 21, Jesus, he leaves that area, and he withdraws into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region comes and begins to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Matthew tells us that Jesus has left the area of Genesaret and has traveled to Tyre and Sidon, which is it's a 38-mile journey into what is considered non-Jewish territory. Tyre and Sidon are pagan cities and and after all this conversation with the Pharisees and the scribes regarding ritual cleanliness Jesus takes the disciples to a gentile area i mean it's brilliant it's brilliant because of what the po- the point that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples who is the woman well, she's a Gentile. She's not a Jew. She's, she's from this area of Tyre and Sidon. She's a Canaanite. And by Jewish standards, and certainly by the standards of the scribes and Pharisees, this woman would be considered unworthy and unclean. All right, so and she's saying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy. And, and Jesus doesn't answer her. And the disciples, they come and they implore Jesus, saying, send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. Send her away! Jesus answers the woman. And he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she comes and... She doesn't stop, and she she begins to bow down before Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus responds to her, and he says, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. (laughs) What? He's heard the woman call out to him. The disciples, you know, they're beyond annoyed and they implore Jesus to do something. And and we saw this word last week, implore. That means to beg earnestly. They are imploring (laughs) Jesus. And and do you hear what she calls Jesus? She says, Lord. She says, Son of David. She says, have mercy. Lord, the word is kurios, kurie, kurie eleison. She says that to Jesus. Have mercy. And Jesus responds in a manner that is uncharacteristic of anything that we've seen thus far in these kingdom encounters in Matthew. I mean, did we hear Jesus correctly? He, he says, I, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the woman's continuing and, and, and she said, she bows, Lord, help me. And his response is just it's incredibly, it sounds incredibly rude. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Has he just insulted this woman? No, no. Because of how she referred to him, Jesus knows that she knows who he is and why he has come. She says, Lord, she says, son of David. He wants to hear her response to what he just says about dogs. And she says, really, she says, I know, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. This non-Israelite woman refers to Jesus as the son of David. So she obviously knows the promise the Lord made to David back in 2 Samuel 7. That that the son of David would sit on the throne forever. She obviously knew that. And, And by this statement, she obviously is familiar with the promise that the Lord made Abraham way back in Genesis 12. When the Lord says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This woman, she knows she's not a Jew. She, she's not from any of the tribes of Israel. But the woman knows that the Messiah has been sent to all nations. All nations, amen. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. All nations. Not only to the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, the children of Israel, you know, as a nation, they've not accepted Jesus. And, and we, we quoted this way back, at, way, not way back at Christmas, but John 1, when we read about the Word becoming flesh, the Scripture that says, "...his own received him not." The Israelites, you know, they see all these people groups around them as ritually unclean. And then you've got those Israelites who have their own, they have their own standards, even higher like the Pharisees and the scribes, and they look down on everyone else as if they were animals. And the Gentiles are aware of this. The Gentile woman is aware of this. And if you remember, this kind of prejudice continues to be a problem even further into the New Testament. The, the Lord even convicts Peter of his prejudices via a dream in the, book of, in the book of Acts. Jesus, the bread of life, has come to be broken for all men, all women, and all children. And the woman, she knows her place, and she knows her social standing, but she also knows that the Lord has come to be her Lord and her Master. And she very cleverly, very deftly, she responds respectfully but clearly. And Jesus says to the woman, he says, Oh woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish.'" and her daughter was healed at once. Can't you hear the smile in Jesus' voice? She understands clearly, and she understands it more clearly than the Pharisees, than the scribes, and dare I say it, even his own disciples. Scene changes one more time. They depart from there. And Jesus goes along the Sea of Galilee there in verse 29. And having gone up to the mountains, he, he is sitting there and large crowds come to Him, bringing with Him those who are lame, crippled, blind, mute, many others, lots of sickness of all types, many others. We can even find ourselves there, can't we? And, and, and they lay these folks down at the feet of Jesus, and he heals them. And the crowd marvels as they see the mute speaking. They see the crippled restored. They see the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorify the God of Israel. Wow. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Jesus calls his disciples to him, and he says, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained... They've remained with me now three days, and they have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, for they might faint on the way. Well, the disciples, they say to Jesus, where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Very patiently, Jesus says, How many loaves do you have? And they say, Seven and a few small fish. And Jesus directs the people to sit on the ground. And, and He takes the seven loaves and, he, and the fish and He gives thanks. And He breaks them and He starts giving them to the disciples. And the disciples give them to the people. And, and they all eat. And they're all satisfied. And they pick up what was left over of the broken pieces. Seven large baskets full and those it says those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And then it says, sending away the crowds, Jesus gets into the boat and he goes to the region of of Magadan. This story sounds absolutely familiar, does it not? I mean, I mean, has Matthew rebooted the sequel? <laughs> you know. This sounds... We just, what gives here? Well, this is different than last time. Unlike the feeding of the 5,000 plus, which happened just last chapter, they, they showed up for one long afternoon, and there's a healing, and then there's this big meal on the ground. This crowd of 4,000 plus, they've remained with Jesus for three days. Three days' worth of miracles. And there are those that are lame, crippled, blind, mute, many others. They're laid at His feet. He heals them. The mute, they're speaking. The crippled, they're restored. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and the crowd marvels as they see all of this, and they glorify the God of Israel. And see, when Jesus fed the 5,000-plus back in chapter 14, there's no statement like this. Okay? Okay? So for Matthew to point out this distinction in chapter 15 this morning, this signifies that this crowd, they are not Israelites. They're Gentiles. And this Gentile crowd sees the connection between Jesus and the God of Israel. (laughs) Wow! Maybe not to the same degree that the Canaanite woman whose daughter was, was released from her demon possession earlier. This crowd of over over 4,000 Gentiles worships God. And as Jesus did at the last feeding, He feels compassion. And He wants to feed them, and I believe He wants His disciples to dial in, to to tune in to what's going on. And the disciples, they they say... (laughs) Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate, desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? Desolate place, there's no food trucks. Perhaps, maybe it's the fact that these are Gentiles. And there's food involved and ugh, unclean. I mean, we shake, our, we shake our heads at disbelief of the disciples, but you know we're no different at times. And, and Jesus very patiently he says, how many loaves do you have? I mean, maybe they've had an eye out, but, but for them to even ask this question, it makes me wonder if they've even thought that far ahead. And so they probably have to take time to canvas the area. And they say, seven and a few small fish. In the same fashion, in the same way, Jesus does this similar miracle. He takes the seven loaves and the fish. He gives thanks. He breaks them. He gives them to the disciples. And the disciples give them to the people. And it's a neat reminder that even when we fail to see the obvious kingdom encounters in our paths, in our lives, in our ministries, just like the disciples, how encouraging that it is that Jesus continues... To allow us to serve in ministry. He gives to us. And we keep on giving, and he he keeps on giving, and it all goes back to him. They all eat and they're all satisfied, and the disciples they pick up what's left of the broken pieces, and there's seven large baskets full. You know, God provides for those who are serving. Those boys are not going to starve. bread is mentioned if you're paying attention bread is mentioned all throughout this chapter but see this chapter is more than it's more than just bread bread is a plot device Th- this story is about the abuse of rules and regulations and traditions and it's about the heart. It, it's, it's about Jesus as Lord and Master. It's about fulfillment that we can see in the Old Testament coming to life now. And it's and salvation is meant for all, not just for Israelites. It's about mercy. It's, it's about worshiping the God of Israel. It's, it's about having compassion for those all around us as we are Jesus' disciples. It's about problems of the heart. It's... it's It's about seeing past our preferences. It's about seeing past our prejudices. It's about seeing the big picture. You see, the Lord knows that some of us can get all carried away with rules and regulations and doing the right thing. The letter of the law. But none of us can measure up. Like the old song says, no, not one. But when we can see the big picture, the big picture that shows us why Jesus came, this picture shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. And and thanks be to God that that we have been given the opportunity to trust in a Savior. And and this Savior that felt compassion and felt mercy for us, just as He did for the Canaanite woman, the Canaanite woman's daughter, the 4,000 plus, His disciples, He met their needs and He can meet our needs too. And He has already met our greatest one, the need for forgiveness of our sin. And while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died on the cross for each of us. That is the picture, the big picture that we always need to hold before us.